Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of the Walk Around Knowledge Podcast with Lil Millie, where I break down topics I've learned while securing my legacy. Think about it as knowledge you should be armed with while navigating through life. Let's take a walk. Okay, so on last week's episode, we talked about me accepting the role that God had gave me, which was to be my father's primary caregiver, as well as still manage running my business and platform, Can't Stay Put, and then also assuming the role as director of business development for Miller 3 Consulting, my father's company. And so at this time, I am still living like a nomad. Um, but I am spending majority of my time in Atlanta. And so I just want to share this small caveat of just how <laughs> unstable I was during this time. There is the instability that comes from entrepreneurship, right? But then there's a level of instability that comes from the emotional, physical, mental toll of caregiving. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But I just want to kind of set the stage so you kind of know the mental headspace I'm in. Um, but anyway, at this time in 2015, we are accepting the reality of the situation, accepting the fact that um, it's time to put a plan together, a succession plan. Right. Um, even beyond me managing these three roles, I know that this is not an end all be all. Right. And so I started to look on the internet and kind of see like, you know, what are the things that we need to be thinking about? What are the things that we need to be mapping out beyond just business wise, right? Because my father had gone through succession planning as far as the business was concerned back in 2005. So that wasn't necessarily a new thing or like something that we needed to kind of revisit for the first time. However, you know, I always tell people that one of my favorite shows is, the show on HBO called Secession, and it kind of showcases how the family comes together um, to run this family business. Um, and on the show, it's mainly family-focused, I mean, business-focused. But like I mentioned, when I think about the word secession, we're thinking about everything that needs to be put in place in order to really pass this baton over. And so what I did was I wrote out these set of questions for my father, and I actually have the screenshot of the sheet of paper of both of our handwriting. Um, and I wrote, what are your top priorities right now? And he listed out, and this is order. Number one was family time. Number two was resolve claims. Number three was chart path to the end. Number four was record my life. Number five was transfer knowledge. Number six was history of family. And number seven was live longer. And so I know people will be like, why was live longer? Number seven and so at that time, like I mentioned, we had accepted the fact that he's stage four COPD. He wasn't able or he didn't qualify to get a lung transplant. Um, and so we at this juncture are like, you know, we had exhausted, you know, improvement at this point. It's like, OK, how can we get him to the level of optimal comfort? Right. To extend uh to extend his life as long as possible and to make sure he's not getting any worse. But getting better um, wasn't an option on the table. And, you know, we'll talk more about lung disease and all that kind of stuff on another episode. But anyway, so those were the seven things. Family time, resolve claims, chart path to the end, record his life, transfer knowledge, history of family, and to live longer. And so over these next couple of years, this is how we would kind of structure 
or be intentional about what we were supposed to be doing. So now that we have this list of priorities mapped out, it's now it's now go time, right? Um, and so in hindsight, I, I'm just always forever grateful because I'm even still realizing how intentional my father was during that time in terms of this transfer. Um, and then also just realizing that, you know, this period of secession planning or this transfer or this baton passing, I believe was the, this was the first time my father, me, or I think anybody in my family had ever engaged in this type of planning, right? Because oftentimes we live like we're going to be here tomorrow. Um, and then also if you are dealt a hand of sickness, sometimes that illness doesn't allow for true secession planning to happen. And luckily for us with the disease that we were dealing with, my father was still a one in the mind, if not even sharper, his body just went to shit. Um, And so we really had a great opportunity to make sure that he felt confident um, with passing on or, you know, making sure his legacy was secured. And so, like I said, the first part of that was family time. And so for us, that meant, you know, spending as much time with me, with my siblings, uh, with family and friends. And so on a couple of episodes before I shared how, um, it was hard for me to accept that I was the one that needed to take the lead in terms of my father's care because I'm one of ooh, seven kids my dad got, uh, one of six living. Um, and so after accepting that I needed to lead the initiative, then it became easier to kind of delegate and and for my my siblings to figure out what their role was. And so whether that was, you know, my brother handling payroll for the caregivers or him seeing my dad once a week and my little sister making sure she saw him every Sunday or, you know, there was just different things that we came together and did. And I'll also mention like my aunt, my dad's sister came every Sunday, prayed over him, anointed him and anointed his feet. So there was like this family um, unit of us coming together um, and really getting into the jail of the reality of, you know, my father being in his last days and knowing that we have all of this work that we need to do um, before he departs. And so another aspect of that was like, you know, even with like the business, like I would tell people like I would have my dad in my pocket. Right. So serving as the director of business development, you know, my role was to develop and build business. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory, but for me, that's, you know, building relationships, um, going to conferences, replying, you know, responding to RFPs, doing proposals. And so a lot of that was, you know, when I'm going out to conferences, unfortunately, my father could no longer travel. Right. And so the story was that, you know, our CEO doesn't travel anymore. You know, he's been the CEO for 30 plus years. And so I remember going to conferences or meeting people that I knew that my dad knew or um, that I knew I needed to have a conversation with. And I would just text him like, you know, this is this person, he's this. And then my dad would text me back. Okay, well, we did all of this work in Cincinnati. He'll know this person or he'll know this person. And so it was like really some shit out of a movie. And it warms my heart now because we really were like a tag team, you know, it was just like my dad was always in my pocket, you know? Um, and I, I can recall that, you know, 
going through this process and learning from him and being an apprentice, I developed skills that allowed me to go back to my business and be like, okay, I can't do this like this no more. You know what I mean? Like here I am learning for somebody who had been a businessman for 30 plus years. And I'm realizing now, even in my, my business, my platform that I needed to make this transition from a founder to a CEO, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about um, a little bit later. But in hindsight, I'm, I'm realizing just how many skills that I have developed from going through this process. Right. So that's just on the business front. And so on the health front, just learning how to advocate on somebody's behalf. Right. I remember me and my, you know, dad going and, you know, to the countless doctor's appointments and dealing with, um, you know, front office people and how we have to talk to them and how we have to advocate for them. And, you know, him telling me to tell them different stories. Like if we have a doctor or a foreign doctor from different places, if it was a country that I had been to, like, you know, including some of my storytelling as we're engaging with this doctor, because the reality is the more rapport you build, the better service and the better treatment you'll get. Doesn't make that shit right, but it is what it is. And so once people find out that, oh, you will travel, oh, y'all college educated, oh, y'all business owners, like, oh, okay, then, you know, the level of commitment to your care and and what we need um, improved. And I will always tell people that my dad literally told everybody about can't stay put everybody, every doctor to the point where I would be embarrassed because if there was a computer in the doctor's office, he's like, go to www.cantstayput.com. Bring it up right now. So you can see my daughter. She does. She does. I'm like, we are here for an hour. They need to see about your lungs. They need to see about your heart. These people don't give a shit about what I got going on. But my dad would tell me, he was like, I'm planting these seeds. They're going to care a little bit more and more about us. They're going to go and tell, you know, their kids about you. They're going to go and tell their husband about you. And that's how you build relationships. It's not solely because, you know, I want to take up all their time or I'm looking to embarrass you. This is how you collect people. This is how you, you know, win people over such that there may be a time period a year from now, Lauren, or months from now, where we need for them to truly advocate on our behalf because there is, you know, an issue that we're dealing with. And so these are the things that I'm learning, right? How, you know, unfortunately within our community, you know, we are we are taught like as kids, you know, don't speak unless you're spoken to or if if it's grown folks business, don't speak up. And so naturally you are you have to learn how to advocate for yourself around professionals, people that got all these letters, MD, JD and all this shit behind their name and you feel like you're not empowered to speak up. Nah, it ain't nobody on this earth that I don't feel uh, like I can't say something to and advocate myself or anybody in my family um, to because I went through that experience. And so, you know, during this time, I would say, man, it's like the the like like the dream team daughter daddy duo. You know what I mean? Like. And I will also say the shit was definitely um, trying, you know, because I think I think I mentioned this on a previous episode that this level of intensity of time. Right. This is just not your um, the time period where, you know, I'm just hanging out with my parents. It's just like, no, there's sickness. There's intensity of like I'm young and I'm having to take on this role. There's a level of like, you know, the fact that 
He's a type A man and he wants to be able to live his life the way he wants to. And, you know, he's frustrated dealing with depression. So there's all of these emotions and things that are taking place. But there's just such immense love and compassion to the point where I started to take on a very um, keen sense of pride from playing that role of taking care of my dad. It's like that was a part of my identity. You know what I mean? To the point where even on this side, you know, years later, I've had to to learn who I am outside of that because I took so much pride in being like, you know, anything I got to deal with my dad, you got to deal with me. Like personal, private affairs, you got to deal with me. Um, and so circling back to that question that I asked him, right, what are your top priorities right now? <laughs> The second one being resolving claims, both personal, professional. And so there are things around business and things that we needed to uh, settle up. But there are also like personal claims. Like, you know, when you are close to the end, you reflect on your life. You reflect on the good, the bad, the ugly, if you have any regrets. And listen, I got on my daddy ass, okay, because I want to make sure that man was going to heaven. And so there were many conversations about, you know, his dealings with, you know, his ex-wives or with his kids or, you know, with various different things that he may have taken for granted or didn't think about. And yes, that man was making phone calls and apologizing to folks. Um, And I think it's just so funny, or I don't know if it's funny, but just um, ironic how, you know, when you are in that situation, how your parent becomes a child and you become you become the parent. And it's just like, I really am having grown ass conversations with my dad about his behavior, about his, some of his, you know, nigga shit behavior. Um, and him dealing with it because I wanted God to bless him, you know? Um, but you know, that went into like these conversations, like it was a beautiful thing to reach that level of honesty, um, and talk about, you know, things that he wished he could have done differently or, you know, how, you know, for him, somebody being successful. And I tell my guy friends this all the time, like he really treated women as they were disposable. Um, and in the sense of, you know, if you don't want to be here, if you don't want to deal with me, there'll be somebody else who will. You know what I mean? Not realizing that, you know, years later, you sick, you you know, you single, you got your daughter coming back to take care of you when it should be your wife. You know, the whole nine, we got into all them conversations, okay? Um, and it was healing, I think, for him, healing for me as well, but also gave me a sense of what are those generational curses that I need to break, right? Because we talk about that in our community, right? How are you going to be breaking shit if you don't even know? Yeah, I'm breaking generational curses. You don't even know the goddamn curses that you need to be breaking. You got to check inventory. So anyway, that was a part of resolving some of the claims. Uh, The third thing was like charting the path to the end. So I always tell people that, you know, when a loved one dies, um, you know, that time period is already stressful enough, right? And so for my dad, he was like, you know, I don't want anything to be – a question for you guys, right? You know, this is where I want to be, you know, this is where I want my funeral to be. This is who I want to officiate. This is who I want to do my eulogy. This is where I want to be buried. This is the money. This is, you know, all of that and everything that we needed to do to get that in order. Like, you know, 
packing up his office and putting it into storage and doing all of those things that you normally would do on the back end that just makes that process so cumbersome. We did it so much far in advance because he would say, Lauren, like, I don't want you having to deal with this because I know a lot of this you're going to be dealing with by yourself. Um, And it's just emotionally too much for you to be dealing with while also grieving me not being here. Um, Another part of charting the path to the end was, you know, as far as business was concerned or as far as like, you know, um, you know, making plans for what he wanted to do with the business, what he wanted to do with the, you know, family issues and, and things like that. And then the fourth thing was recording his life. So we got a tape recorder, recorded stories. I'll be the first to admit that what we're almost three years from then. I still have yet to listen to anything on that tape recorder. Um, I ain't there yet. I don't really know when I'm going to be there yet, but we recorded, you know, stories from when he first met Nelson Mandela, you know, going to the Million Man March or um, how you collect people or just his Millerisms, all of his wisdom that he wanted to make sure that I knew, my siblings knew, things that he wanted to have be passed down to, you know, the next generation. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for that, that we had that time to do the recordings and you know I'm hoping that I'll be in a good headspace soon to listen because I know there's just so much stuff on there um that will bring me joy even though it'll be sad um and I'll be I will also say that there's still shit I'm still learning to this day about this man um but I'm so grateful that we have those recordings. I remember telling him when we got it that, you know, anytime, you know, somebody comes over here, whether it's a business colleague or a friend, turn on the recorder. I would send reminders like turn on the recorder um, because at this time I was probably in Atlanta like every. At least every seven days, you know, as I'm still living this can't stay put nomad life, because at this time travel, my platform, the guy I'm dating is my escape. It's no longer like can't say put on my platform was less work in my baby and more of like my escape um, because I was a shell of myself. I really was like I was just recalling like at the beginning of 2016, I launched Travel Noir Experiences in Brazil and in January of 2016, I think my father was going to his second month in the hospital, this particular hospital stint. After being on life support for, I think, three or four weeks. And if for those of you that do or don't know about life support, when you are on life support, you have to be sedated a certain amount because you have this tube down your throat. And if you are fully aware, it's just too uncomfortable. So you are sedated, which means there is a part of your brain that's not active. And so. Um, for all the December, I had spent Christmas in the hospital, the holidays. And so, you know, I was contemplating, like, do you still make your commitment to launch this travel noir experiences in Brazil? Or do you stay back? And I was like, you know, like he's off of life support. He's not out of the dark, but it's no longer like critical, critical condition. I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go to Brazil, um, and launch his experiences. But at the same time, you know, nobody really knew that I am leading this experience, doing this on this assignment. I was in Brazil for a month, 
But daily, I'm talking to my dad's doctors, you know, and because he had been sedated and on life support for three weeks, typically it takes a while for the brain to come back to be in your right mind after that. And for whatever reason, my dad just wasn't in his right mind for a while. And I remember the doctors calling me and being like, you know, your dad refuses to take his medicine. He refuses to accept treatment. Like, we don't know what to do. You know what I mean? And I just remember telling him, like, don't give up on him. Don't give up on him. Like, don't don't give up on him. And I would talk to him over the phone like, Dad, I know you don't know what's going on, but everything's going to be okay. These people aren't here to harm you. They're here to help you. They're not here to harm you. They're here to help you. And I knew I was talking to a version of my dad that wasn't really him. But mind you, I'm still leading these group trips daily, right, in Brazil, in another country, no English being spoken, but at the same time, internally dealing with the weight that my father's in the ICU, he is not responding to medication, you know. And so even as I think about this shit, as I'm telling y'all, I'm just like, damn, girl, like what the like you were doing the most. Like, I just want to get that girl a hug. You know what I mean? Because that's fucking trauma. So the the fifth thing on his list of priorities was a transfer of knowledge, right? Which I think is probably one of the biggest, the number five and number six. So number five was transfer of knowledge. Number six was the history of family, which is kind of like hand in hand, right? And so I would say my father's transfer of knowledge it's something that he'd been doing since I was a child, but now it's more in, intentional. So it's like, okay, these are the stories about, you know, negotiation. This is a story about, you know, how you deal with people that are moving funny. Um, and so, like, there are so many isms, if you will, that my father would pass on to me. And I remember going to him and being like, you've already told me this story. Like you told me this story three, four times. Like why you keep on telling me this story, right? Not realizing that he knew for a fact he'd already told me that story, right? But what he was doing was reiterating the lessons enough such that when he was no longer here physically, when that issue or an issue came up where that lesson would apply, his voice would automatically pop up in my mind. So there will not even be a question in terms of, what his thought will be about this particular issue. Um, and so in addition to that, like even in our text messages, like in our exchange of, you know, how you approach certain things. Like I remember a lesson of like, you know, when you catch somebody moving funny, like you don't say anything to them because what they'll do is they'll hide better the next time. And so what you do, you just watch them. Right. And you see how they move such that are they moving funny? Was that a one time thing or was this something that they do all the time? Or, you know, stories about how, you know, you can't be afraid to make white people uncomfortable or how you go about negotiating. Like I remember, you know, even witnessing my father do this. And this is probably one of the biggest things is was witnessing my father live in his purpose to the very end to the point like I'm taking his computer you know to the hospital he's having conference calls and you know within that the knowledge of you know seeing how to negotiate 
I remember there being a particular um, opportunity on the table and, you know, them requesting the best and final offer and him going up on a price, not going down. And me thinking like, what in the world is wrong with this man? And then them accepting it. And I'm like, how the hell did you know? He was like, I knew there was nobody better. There was nobody else on the table better that they needed us and that our value would speak for itself. So, yeah, I took tagged on an extra 200K. And I'm like, you a bad motherfucker, dog. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm like, damn, that's my daddy, okay? You know what I mean? Like, you don't play around with him. Um, And so even with, like, the history of our family, and so, like, you know, I, I talk a lot about my family's, the farm and our history in agriculture. And so during this time, my father would have me take him down to the farm as often as we could. And during these times he would tell me stories, but he would tell them in a way that were way more intentional than I, than they were when I was a little girl. Right. And I'm also way more curious and keen to soak this up because I know we are against the clock. You know what I mean? And so stories that I had heard about, you know, um, when I was a little kid, not them not really resonating as 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 much as they did as I was an adult. And I remember one story going down to the family farm and on our our you know times going down there, we had had a routine where you stop in town and we would see the graves of my our oldest ancestors in the town, right? And I remember, I think I was twenty seven. I think this was the first time actually going to visit these graves um, with a certain level of intention. And my dad told me to go up, uh, go up to your great, great grandmother's grave. And I, I went up, her name's Lucy Blocker. And he said, look at the date. And I looked down and we had the same birthday. Now, mind you, my dad knew his whole life that we had the same birthday, Right. But he hadn't shared that information with me. And it was almost as if he wanted me to receive that information at a time period in my life where it actually meant something. And I would actually feel the gravity of what that meant, right? Because on her tombstone, it had it had October 1st as her birth date, but there was no death date, right? For whatever reason, I don't know why, um, but no death date. And so in that instant, like there was a wave of chills and emotions that came over me because it was like, Lauren, like you really are the walking, breathing manifestation of your ancestors. Like, look at here. Your great grandmother was born the same day as you. And there's no death that you she lives on through you. OK, so like all of these like aha moments, learning about my family history, my father's connecting the dots, telling me the timeline. So I'm I'm in awe, right? Because a lot of my family's history is black history. Um and it's a privilege to be able to say that. It's an honor. There's a lot of pride that I have and I will say like, you know, all of this history was there but not until this time period did it resonate um at this 
at this magnitude, right? So, you know, as I'm learning this, like, your girl is walking different. I'm talking different. My chest is puffed out, right? Because I know who the fuck I am. And that's a powerful thing, right? And I, I know looking back that that was my father's intent, right? You know, I was the child that because of the lifestyle that I had chose and just because I was the one, I was chosen that he needed to empower. He needed to pass on and build me up as much as possible because I was going to lead the way. You know what I mean? And I had the time to sit there and take this in because let's be clear. There's a difference between having the last name and having the brand. As my auntie would say, you can have a last name all day. Right. But do you have the Miller family brand? And that's what my father wanted to make sure I had. I had the brand. I knew the principles. I knew how we, you know, how we go about presenting ourselves, our lessons. Like, you know, you don't argue in front of your family. You don't argue with your family in front of people that aren't family. And y'all know what the hell I'm talking about when I say that. I'm going to say that one more time, right? You don't argue with family in front of people that ain't your family. And so there are times even in business, like if there were legal issues, my dad would be like, is there a way that we can handle this outside of court arbitration or mediation? Because I'm not taking my issues with my brother in front of a white judge. You know what I mean? So you can apply that to many different um, things. And so I saw him live out these principles. I saw him, you know, practice them and you know weave them into my family history or telling me like you know after the great depression my 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 ancestors would bury our money um under the ground on our farm because you couldn't trust the fucking banks because they were still right um or just understanding that every time that i'm walking down those dirt roads on the Miller farm, these are the same dirt roads that my father walked on, the same dirt roads that my grandfather walked on, the same dirt roads that his mom walked on and his and her dad, like, you know, generations back in that this place is for you to seek refuge and to seek power and energy to build yourself up. You know, I haven't gone down to the family farm since I was a child, but I will tell you not until this time period that it's, did it mean much, much, much more? And so that's another reason why now on this app, on this side, I'm such an advocate for this intentional time spending with your kids or with other people that come from a, di- a different generation. Because like, I will tell you, we were blessed to get four years to do this. Everybody don't get four years. Most people don't. Um, so, yeah, like this, this intimate time period of learning from my father caring for him, you know, even to the point of where like having to bathe him um, is like a level of intimacy. And of course, you know, a lot of people use intimacy as we talk about like, you know, relationships, you know, like male and female relationships, but there is a level of intimacy, but that I experience father daughter um, from that time period. That's just so precious and pure and heartwarming um, that I hold very dear to my heart because I, I will tell you guys as hard as it was to care for him to mentally go through to go through that I am honored I am absolutely honored that God chose me for this job 
because I got to feel and experience the love of a parent and a father. I got to experience a parent's last fight for their kids. This is session planning, the securing his legacy. All of that was done for us, for me and my siblings. So to see him fight through disease, to see him fight through the suffering, to see him fight through not being able to breathe, to see him fight through, you know, all of the hospital visits, to see him fight through constantly getting IVs, like picking like, you know, how often do you give blood? Imagine having to get picked daily to the point where they can't even find no more veins. You know what I mean? Like, and that's a regular occurrence. Fighting through all of that, right, to make sure that when you leave here, things are secured. Listen, one of the greatest gifts my dad could have ever given me and my siblings. One of the greatest gifts. One, we have the legacy, but two, just the process, right? The Going through the process. And so even though I come from a very rich legacy, a very rich history, like I mentioned, one of the things that was a first was this experience. I believe this was the first time within my family that somebody from one generation and somebody from another generation took years of time to make sure that the baton was passed properly, to make sure that their wishes were known to make sure that, you know, my dad planted so many seeds of opportunity such that they would manifest in my lifetime such that he would feel secure knowing that financially we'll be okay. Right. Because he knew that I would figure out a way, you know what I mean? And I'm still figuring out a way, you know what I mean? Every single day. Um, and I'm still learning of things uh, are learning about his intention, even on this side. So I know that was a lot. And luckily, one, too heavily emotional. Your girl got through this without crying. So that's always a plus. Um, but just to wrap this up, I, I want to just say that, you know, going through this process of succession planning with my father really helped to set the tone of what legacy really means really set the tone of what family means, what family unity means, what inherited responsibility means. I know for me and my brother, like I tell people all the time, like, you know, like, how does it work? How is it like working with family? You know, I'm like, it ain't no issue. Like my father nurtured the thought and understanding that this is bigger than y'all. I need to figure this shit out. And this is bigger than y'all. So no matter what my brother ever says to me, whatever he ever does or vice versa, there would, there's nothing that he could ever do. Nothing. Vice versa. You know what I mean? That would supersede our mission of, and it's not just business-wise, it's just our mission of, of building this legacy, protecting the legacy, and having pride in this legacy. Right. Because there's been too many of our ancestors to have 
made sacrifices have stood in excellence for us to be here with the opportunities that we have today. So I say all that to say, you know, for those of you that may find yourself in this position or are inspired by this position, I will say that, um, you know, rise to the occasion. You know what I mean? I just remember my dad saying, like, even when it was hard and I would cry out to God, like, please help me. This is too much. I can't carry this. My dad would be like, baby, just stick with your daddy. It won't be too much longer. Just stick with your daddy. It won't be too much longer. And I just remember him saying that over and over again. I was just like, because it was just so hard. You know what I mean? But it was true. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't going to be too much longer in the thick of it. It was. Um, But like I said, I would give any and everything to do it over again. Like, as hard as it was, that's how beautiful it was. So if, if you don't take anything from this, I would say go hug your parents, go hug your mama, go hug your daddy, go talk to them, talk to your family, talk to your grandma, talk to, talk about the legacy, talk about your history, okay? Um, and, yeah, I'm going to end with that. I love y'all. And so I just want to thank you guys for tuning into another episode the Walk Around Alice podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe. Make sure you tell your mama, your sister, your friend, and your friend's friends to tune in. And, you know, I just want to thank you guys for rocking out with me. Until next time, peace.